Welcome to What You Talking About Willis. I'm Billy. I'm here with Jones. This week we watched Mortal Thoughts. Jones, you ever think mortally? I told you at the end of the last episode, I do every single day I think mortally. Did you ever play Mortal Kombat? I fucking loved that game. I I mean, I think that was one of those what did where was the Meadows? Meadows arcade. Like it was like a shithole arcade that had like Ands. 15 10 15 games Ands. Ands had it too. Ands had it too. Yeah, Mortal Kombat, that was a good one, man. The game was a phenomenon. It w- yes. That, this the arcade version. I never played it once on a like a Sega or whatever it was. Oh. Nintendo. I think the Genesis version had blood and the Super Nintendo version did not. That sounds about right. I had Street Fighter on Super Nintendo. That was the only fight 'em up game that I had, though. Did you ever see the Mortal Kombat movie? No. I don't think I did. No. Big Trouble in Little China, whenever Raiden shows up, the Super Lightning Bolt guy. I saw Street Fighter movie. That was terrible with Van Damme. Nothing's terrible with Van Damme. This is not a Van Damme podcast. He's he's Belgium's Bruce Willis. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> What's your favorite Van Damme movie? I'd have to say Sudden Death. Oh, Van Damme, that's a good that's a good movie. Uh, Bloodsport. Is that the Kumite? Kumite, Kumite, Kumite. Yes, Forrest Whitaker. Great chase scenes where they chase them around with giant flashlights that look like they're like pussy pockets or pocket pussies. Pussy pockets. <laughs> pussy pockets sound like a delectable treat for cats. <laughs> meow, 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 meow. Pussy pockets. <laughs> My cat's eating right now, actually. She's eating her pussy pocket? No. <laughs> <laughs> Mortal Thoughts starring Demi Moore, Glenn Hadley, Bruce Willis. Wait, and Harvey wait. Who's it? Hadley? 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 Is it just Headley? I think it's Headley. Oh, that's funny. Do you remember Max Headroom? I do. Max Head, 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 Head. Yes. It freaked me out. I was, it was like fever dreamish. That's how I remember it. I remember being a fan when I was a kid, hawking Coca-Cola to everybody. Fuck yeah. Demi Moore co-produced this film. She was the cop, huh? She, this was released in theaters on April 19th, 1991, on home video in November of 91. It got a DVD release in August of 98 and a Blu-ray release in May of 2022. It's currently available on Tubi, where I watched it for free. How did you watch this? Um, I didn't know it was on Tubi. That's great to know. I watched it on Prime, but it's interesting that it's on Tubi. Because to be or not to be, you and I both know a, a very deep, dark secret about this film. And this is why it got made. This movie was co-written, uncredited, of course, by William Shakespeare. Billy Shakespeare. The film's title is derived from a Shakespeare quote in the tragedy of Macbeth, in which the line is. Do you got the line? No, give it to me, Billy. Come, you spirits. That tend on mortal thoughts, unsex me here, and fill me from the crown to the toe, top full of direst cruelty. I thought you were gonna say diarrhea the second time through. That that was beautiful. 
That's good. I, like I'm, I'm half. I have my half erect right now, listening to that. That's because you're playing with that pocket pussy. <laughs> it's, it's, you know what it ended up being? It's a taser. It's a giant taser. <laughs> this had a seven million Looks, dollar budget. An eighteen million dollar really? box office. Yeah. Seven million dollar budget. Well, that's good. That it, I mean, it got its money back. That's great. As an executive producer, that's what you want, right? It was distributed by Columbia Pictures, and it, this is why the there was um, like filming issues on this movie. It was directed by Alan Rudolph. The film's original director, Claude Curvin, was fired after c- completing one week of filming. He also co-wrote the screenplay. What did Clyde do wrong? He was there for the whole ride, and then it was like, get out of here, buster. Okay, so well, I have some notes really... off of it. He must have really fucked that up. Okay, the film was having budget issues, and the financiers threatened to shut down production after Curvin was fired. Demi offered to pay the overtime herself. Uh, The film's release was delayed four months because of Polar Entertainment was suing for Curvin's firing, citing a breach of contract. Curvin. He's still credited. I mean, he's he's a credited writer, you know. He got paid for some work on this movie but yeah it almost sunk the the whole production which we got into bruce's fired the director on that broadway bully movie i think it was called that led to him doing the sixth sense the kid and um uh what was the other one armageddon so like bruce and Demi weren't afraid to throw their weight around i think nor should they be Demi Moore was coming off Ghost. Bruce was coming off Die Hard too. You know, they, at this time they were the peak Hollywood couple. Demi mm. Moore was drawn to this project because she wanted to play a character with a New Jersey dialect. Wait, uh, that was the only reason? Yeah, it seems like not a good reason to do a film. <laughs> Especially when you can pretty much call your shots after the success of Ghost. I wonder if she was trying to impress Bruce Willis, who was from New Jersey. Ooh, maybe his parents. Look, I can do it too. I could talk like I'm from New Jersey. I think to me is from Pennsylvania originally. No, really? Yeah. Demi Moore said her and Bruce had mutual interest in this script because it dealt with substance abuse issues, something something they both had experience in their personal lives. Like did they have substance abuse have real bad problems? Or is it like, is this like everybody in Hollywood has a substance abuse or a drinking problem kind of thing? I could see them definitely getting off track a little bit. Um, I listened to a podcast called Haleywood. It, just last week I listened to this. It's an eight-episode iHeart podcast production. It's about Bruce and Demi moving to Haley, Idaho and buying up all the real estate and downtown yeah, you area. To, you've talked about this on here before. Yeah, I finally listened to it and I didn't know this. Bruce was arrested in 1987 uh, for assaulting a police officer. The charges I, were dropped. I think I do I recall this. Not ha- it happening, but hearing about this. Yeah, he, he was having a party at his house and the, the neighbors called the cops and the cops came and Bruce wasn't having it. So yeah, I think he was a party guy. Well, I mean, we've heard in other accounts of, you know, Matthew people Perry. hanging out with them. Matthew Perry hanging out with them, you know. Yeah. Bruce is getting wasted. Matthew Perry's trying to be sober. He's getting Willist. 
for this Hour 43 award. minute runtime. Yes. In under the 90 minute, just over the 90 minute requirement for a great movie. Yeah, hour 43, that, that, that fits in the 90 minute. Yeah. The top movies, according to Box Office Mojo, in April of 1991 were Out for Justice with Steven Seagal, Oscar with Sly Stallone, A Kiss Before Dying with Matt Dillon and Sean Young, Toy Soldiers, The Marrying Man with the Jackal co-star Alec Baldwin and Ireland Baldwin's mother, Kim Basinger. Uh, Also in theaters was The Object of Beauty with John Malkovich, who will later co-star with Bruce in Red and Red 2. Red. And fun fact, Glenn Headley was married to John Malkovich from 1982 to 1988. The couple divorced after Malkovich had an affair with co-star Michelle Pfeiffer. Ooh. Dude, how the fuck is that even possible? How does John Malkovich pull so much fine ass? You know what I mean? Like, he's a big goober-looking motherfucker. (laughs) He's a man of the theater. But I do remember Toy Soldiers. That was the one movie you read off, you rattled off. That was out at the same time. I was like, yes, 100% remember seeing that one in the theater. It's one of those, go with your boys. Is Sean Astin in that? Toy Soldiers? Yes, Sean Astin. What was that Brandon Fraser like boarding school movie? Oh, where he was Jewish and nobody knew. Should we look at that? Is that the same? Is that, yeah, I mean, why not? But is that the same one? We talk about the same thing? I don't know. I don't think so. Maybe. Because this would have been about the same time as Encino Man. I think I'm, I can't remember the name of it though. Oh, School Ties. School Ties. All right. Yeah, that would have drove me nuts. I'm glad we looked it up. This was a weak week for the Billboard charts. You're in Love by Wilson Phillips. Baby, baby by Amy Grant. Oh, Grant. yeah. Yeah, that was a big one. And uh, this is rounded out by songs from London Beat, Roxette, Enigma, and Rico Suave, which was later parodied by Weird Al for Taco Grande. I introduced Charlie to Weird Al. He He'll be a it. fan for life, yeah. Yep, he loves it already. I was like, it's it's wheelhouse for an eight-year-old boy, I think. Dude, it's Most perfect. Most. He doesn't get enough credit. I could go on this forever as like a legit musician. Well, he's creative. That's for sure. He's funny. He's weird. Is he a great musician? Is that what you're saying? I think he's so. a great yeah. musician? I'm in. Like he's a virtuoso of the accordion? Like his songs are realer than 99% of other songs. How the fuck can you even say that? He didn't write any. He only wrote words to them. Yeah, the words are what I'm talking about here. The words are more true to life than, like, any Aerosmith song. The words are ridiculous. They're life all par- is ridiculous. Here we go. I mean, listen, I, I love the guy. He's great. He's funny. He's creative. I don't think he's a lyricist. None of it is poetic. It's meant to be funny. That's all. It's Did- meant to be funny. It's not meant to be, like, beautiful. And yet again, man, I feel like your taste shows its ass. Like you're like you are singing the praises of Weird Al's songwriting skills. Like just listen to yourself say that out loud. I love Weird Al's songwriting. How dare you? Did you say see? <laughs> but um, back to Mortal Thoughts. Glenn Headley was nominated for a supporting actress by the Chicago Film Critics Association. 
Harvey Keitel won Best Supporting Actor from the National Society of Film Critics. You got the taglines? Dude, these are great. A little involved, but they it was like three lines, two lines, one line. I don't know which one was on the poster. Murder is a secret that should never be shared. That's tagline. I'm going in from three to one. That was number three. Number two, after all the lies have been uncovered, there's only one place left to find the truth. Something terrible happened that night. Something everyone wanted to talk about. <laughs> Something no one was telling the truth about. Mortal thoughts. What's your favorite of the three? These are presented to you. You got to pick one. You're in charge of marketing this film. I'm going number two. The After all the lies have been uncovered, there is only one place left to find the truth. Yeah, it's either that or one for me. Uh, that implies a little secret. bit of like three lines, though. You're you're like you're ten words over a haiku right there. That's way too long. That's like something everyone wanted to talk about. Something no one was telling truth about. Talking about to me, to me, to me. Bruce played James Urbanski in this film. It was supposed to be a tiny part until he agreed to do the role. Jimmy Urbanski. <laughs> it sounds like he's named after one of the Bears superfans. It does. I've been saying, I've been walking around saying that name. James Urbanski. My name is James Urbanski. This oh. is the second Jimmy we've seen Bruce in. The first was Jimmy the Tulip. Jimmy the Tulip is not going to be the last Jimmy that we get our eyes on, yes. This was the first film that Bruce starred in with Harvey Keitel in which they shared no scenes together. Can you name the other two? Wait, what? This was the first film that Bruce starred in with Harvey Keitel in which they shared no scenes together. Can you name the other two? Pulp Fiction. Yep, which is number five on the master list. Armageddon. Nope. Good guess, though. What's the other space movie? <laughs> it's not a space movie. Fuck. It's a fairly recent movie. and it, It's not from the DVD. Basketball. Nope. <laughs> I really thought you were going to get it. It's uh, Moonrise Kingdom, number 55 on the master oh, list. Oh, I should have got that. You've seen that, right? I love Wes Anderson. I've never seen it. I do not like Wes Anderson. That fits the uh, that fits the algorithm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not a fan. Um, Alan Rudolph also directed Bruce and Glenn Headley in Breakfast of Champions, number ten on the master list, but currently blacklisted due to availability issues. And Bruce and Demi also appear in Charlie's Angels, Full Throttle, and Beavis and Butthead Do America. Number 64 and number 57, respectively, on the master list. Well, it was said of this movie that no one really knew what the ending, that he said of this movie, no one really knew what the ending would be. And a half day before they shot it, Billy, that's when they got together and they decided what the ending should be. Now, you say what you want about Claude Kerman. That man starts with the end in mind. He's the ass man of, he's the ass man of directors. He works from the tailpipe right up to the gas tank, buddy. All right? How's Rudolph? Wouldn't it happen? He's, all, he's, he's M to A. Claude Kervin, he's an A to M kind of guy. 
One goes mouth to ass. The other one goes ass to mouth. Well, we'll find out if if this movie went from ass to mouth or mouth to ass. Let's get into these game notes. Do it. Oh, boy. They're typed this week, folks. It's serious. I bought a printer. It's on. I can read my own writing now. This is like going for John Madden, like just winging it. All right. Here we go. We start with some old home movies and some kids jump roping and playing on the beach with some creepy music layered over it. And the sounds of footsteps. These are Demi Moore walking in. She sits down. We see she's being interviewed by two detectives as they set up a camera. We learn her name is Cynthia Kellogg. And the questions being asked are about James Urbanski. She's read her... She's read her Miranda rights. That kind of made my, that caught my attention because she didn't have a lawyer. She's immediately asked about the Urbanski's marriage and we're taken back in time to a wedding. Bruce is hanging with the boys. He orders some drinks and we see the bride getting her hair did. Immediately, everybody's white trash and scumbags. Welcome to New Jersey. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, New Jersey. (laughs) It was... Right off the bat, I was, this was a bad start for me. It was a bad start. Oh, forced the accents. I mean, I can't say they were good or bad because I don't live there, but I guarantee if you live there, you were like, those accents were fucking horrible. Bruce comes over to the bride, asks where her purse is, and he's less than thrilled to find out she has given it to her father. She's instructed to go get the purse. the, The purse, Billy. The purse. The purse is the purse that has all the wedding cards in it and all the cash donations at, at the, some type of Italian wedding. Right? Super She's Catholic a- people. Come on. You know, come on. If you're not going to get the wedding terminology right, I'm not going to fucking do this. All right? <laughs> Toe the line, my friend. They're oh, arguing. It's uh, fucking wedding season. It's getting, as the wedding the band MCs introduces them. As a married couple for the first time. Is this before or after we see Bruce's horrendous fucking mustache? Bruce Willis's facial hair in this movie, entire movie is a travesty. That, that His goatee should have been murdered. I was going to bring up the goatee later. Oh, my God. Bring it up again. Wipe our ass with it. We're back in the interrogation room. Demi has asked, when's the first time Joyce wanted to get rid of her husband? So now we're taken to a hair salon when a mustachioed Bruce Willis comes in with a baby to dump off on Joy while she's working. Imagine this movie without Demi Morris, Cynthia Kellogg. Imagine it with Robin Ray Penn, who was the initially was the actress considered for the role. And I can't see, I mean, I can actually see Robin Ray Penn pulling off, in my opinion, a better like Jersey woman. If she had though, Bruce would have never done this movie and we would have never watched it. Well, maybe we're going to be wishing that she had done the movie. We'll find out later. Uh, We see the baby is a wearing a makeshift makeshift diaper that is duct taped. This brings me back to one of my favorite sayings. If you can't duck it, fuck it. Oh, that's you like that. That's good. Bruce I remember you used to make you used to make what you call them fifis back in the day, like pocket pussies for people. You'd, out of duct tape. You duct tape. You'd take one of your mom's rubber gloves from the hospital and you'd fold it inside out and shove it inside that thing. And you'd you'd have to microwave it first. Yeah. Well, a little bit. I mean, thirty seconds, but you know you won't get too hot. That's that glue is still active in that on the tape. Toaster works too. You just got to put your dick in the toaster, not the. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> 
Bruce and Joyce are in a heated argument in front of the customers. Joyce has missed an appointment that Bruce wants taken care of. Bruce hits up the cash register on the way out. She tells Cynthia that she's going to kill him one of these days. Like, sarcastically. He wants her to take care of... um, He wants her to get an abortion, is what he's screaming at her about about, and beating her about, making her get an abortion. We learn early on that Bruce isn't very likable. He's a piece of shit is what he is. We're going from... Cynthia being interrogated, and we're flashing back in time, in and out, all the movie is flashbacks and interrogations. Yes. Yeah. So the interrogation continues, and we're back in the salon after hearing Jimmy and Joyce in another argument upstairs in the apartment they live in, above the salon. Joyce sends her employee to pick up some sugar that she successfully retrieves. Joyce sends her home and cuts the sugar up with some rat poison and takes it upstairs. Uh, I mean, this is why I thought he was going to die instantly. And I was excited because I, like I said, it was a piece of shit. Joyce comes back down and she says, now we wait. Cynthia can't believe that she had actually given the rat poison to Jimmy to use for his tea. Jimmy is upstairs rolling a cigarette or a joint at the kitchen table. That's a joint, right? I'm pretty sure because he was smoking cigarettes out of a, out of a hard pack later on. Okay. Uh, Cynthia comes in and tries to reason with him as he's mixing his tea up with the poisoned sugar. Bruce is going off on a tangent about his marriage when Joyce calls. While he's on the phone, Cynthia purposely spills the sugar to save Jimmy's life. Bruce starts sexually assaulting her as a way to thank her for saving his life. And Cynthia makes a break for it. Yeah, it was weird. I got the impression that it was... I thought for a second like they were having an affair, though, too. Like that, this has been happening for a while. I don't think that that I don't I don't know if that was the case, or maybe he was just like hitting on her for a long period of time. But you are you are my friend. You are glossing over a piece of cinema history. One of the best lines ever uttered in a movie by any human being, let alone by Bruce Willis, because he has uttered some iconic lines in 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 cinema history. But Jimmy Urbanski tried explaining to Cynthia about why his wife is so stupid and she can't get the sugar. Or maybe he was yelling at his wife and he was like, yeah, you just, let me read it. You take a pencil, a piece of paper, look, S-U-G-E-R. This is what we need. He spelled sugar with an E. Meanwhile, he's got like what is obviously it looks like women's pubic hair glued <laughs> onto his face while he's talking this whole time. It was the worst Merkin mouth wig I've ever seen. S-U-G-E-R. And the piece of trivia that I have says that Bruce ad-libbed that. He ad-libbed that whole part. He actually thinks sugar that's how sugar was spelled. Could have been yeah, an early is- sign. This is a post-diehard world, and I think Bruce could get away with a lot more ad-libbing now. Bruce says whatever Bruce wants to say, baby. Cynthia's back at her apartment getting ready for a night out, leaving her husband with the kids. As Joyce pulls up, she's honking the horn. Cynthia enters the vehicle, and it appears it's going to be a girls' night out until James makes his presence known from the back seat. Jimmy... As he pumps up, he just jumps up, he starts singing. 
Yeah, he's being real annoying. He's sexually harassing Cynthia, basically, as Joyce is driving the van. Joyce is getting pissed. She starts driving into the oncoming traffic and plays chicken with a semi-truck. Well, yes, but he's, he's, he's annoying because he is just repeatedly blown bumps of coke, taking finger bumps, thumb bumps. Yeah, he's in full-blown party mode. He's on 10, and the other two girls haven't even started yet. Well, they're on don't want to be there, and he's on... <laughs> yeah, like 10, nine and a half. Give me, he's still got room to go, as we see later on. <laughs> Cynthia and Jimmy are freaking out as Joyce is driving. Uh, they get to their desired destination. Jimmy says he gets a boner from the excitement of the near accident from the playing chicken with the semi-truck. They're in a parking lot at a carnival. Ooh, yes. This is where shit starts getting hairy. It gets pretty hairy there. Not like Jimmy's face. Which was completely bald. Jimmy cracks open a beer as Joyce and Cynthia go about their way. So now we're back in the interrogation, and Harvey Keitel is digging down on Jimmy's drug use. Yeah, I mean, rightly so, too. She is hitting him pretty hard. <clears throat> but this is, the, I think, the second time that, like, in a public place, they are getting in virtually what appears to be, like, fistfights in public. Yeah, Joyce and Jimmy, Jimmy are not. Joyce and Jimmy don't no don't get don't get along great. So that scene, where was that? Bowcraft Playland Amusement Park in Scotch Plains, New Jersey. Um, it was closed in 2018. It was demolished in 2020. The film's poster includes a photo of the park's very famous Ferris wheel. The Ferris, capitalized F, as we all know. Um, that is for Tim Ferriss, um, inventor of the Ferris wheel. Does Lovettsville have a carnival? We have a Lovettsville wheel. Really? Do we have a carnival? We have fucking Oktoberfest, man. We're we're Virginia's first, um, German settlement. Are you kidding me? We have fucking tents. It's massive. I'm telling you, dude, there were like 45,000 people at Lovettsville. Came into Lovettsville last year for this shit. It's huge. Wow. Yes. That's like State College becoming the third largest city in Pennsylvania on Penn State game days. Well, I mean, it, it helps it out that there's, like, after Philadelphia and Pittsburgh normally, the next most populous city is, like, Allentown with, mm-hmm. like, 75,000 people in it. So. Yeah, or Scranton. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Maybe God Erie. Got to add in Wilkes-Barre. Cynthia says, during the interrogation, Cynthia says James and Joyce had an argument while she was playing roulette. Joyce gives Jimmy the van keys and leaves, and Cynthia is left standing there saying Jimmy is in no condition to drive. Cynthia? (laughs) Yes. Things are getting a little hazy at this point, though. Jimmy falls down as he tries to get in the van. Cynthia helps him up. She gets him in the van. He tries to cop a feel on her, but she gets him in the van to presumably let him pass out when Harvey Keitel reveals that that was the last time anyone saw Jimmy alive. Do you wish at any point that uh, that um, the character Jimmy in this, Bruce Willis, referred to himself in the third person like the character Jimmy from Seinfeld? Jimmy's getting fucked up. <laughs> Jimmy just fell down trying to put the keys in the van. <laughs> Jimmy got a boner. 
Jimmy got an erection. <laughs> it's coming in your direction. <laughs> so we're back in the van with Joyce and Cynthia as they start driving away. Cynthia is talking as Joyce is staring straight ahead. Joyce pulls over and says she thinks she killed Jimmy. We see a bloody Bruce in the back of the van. And Cynthia and Joyce are arguing over going to the cops or the hospital when a car pulls up behind them. Yes, I thought that the movie was going in a totally different direction, but they really... Bruce Willis is bleeding out the back of this van. Presumably already dead. They close the doors as this Firebird Trans Am comes pulling up. <laughs> and these Bon Jovi look-alike contest winners come jumping out of this thing. T-tops are blazing. Hey, baby, you need some help? I got some tools right here for you, baby. Sit yelling shit like that, and they were like, no, we're okay, we're good. And they just get in the van and burp, just drive away. Chirp right out. I yeah, thought that, they that... were going to get kidnapped and thrown to the back of that car. I thought they was like, oh, they're going to get gang raped now. This is karma, anything. Bitch. Hey, mortal thoughts, anything can happen. Mortal thoughts! The helpful men speed away in their Trans Am. They throw a beer can at the, Joyce and Cynthia. Joyce they, is discussing cover covering up the murder oh, or the killing as they pull away. The, oh, wait. What did you just say? The murder or, or the, the killing? killing? <gasps> we don't know. You've uncovered a stone. They take Jimmy's corpse out of the van as a box cutter falls to the ground. They roll Ding. him down in an embankment by the river. As they turn around, Cynthia picks up the box cutter and throws it into the river. Cynthia wants to go to the cops. Joyce wants to continue the cover-up. Cynthia's crying, and Joyce calms her down. Cynthia gets back to her apartment, and she's covered in blood and tells her husband everything, that Joyce had killed Jimmy. Joyce killed Jimmy. I've seen him do it. So th- this is, so she comes home, she starts crying to whatever, Arthur. Arthur, Artie. Yeah. He looked like an Arthur. I don't like that guy. John Pankow. He's in, a, he's in some movies. He's in Mad movies. About You, a show I did not like at all. Hated that fucking show. Yeah. It's People on our master that list. Show. People I loved know. that show. I mean, loved it. My mom loved that show. Anyway, this this is like so the movie right now is in full like thriller nineteen nineties thriller movie, right? It's always dark. Husband and wife characters. I'm gonna rattle off a handful of other now these were all released before nineteen ninety nineteen ninety three and earlier. So all in the same three year span of mortal thoughts. Malice. Remember Malice? Mm-mm. Deceived. Nope. Mm. Then you're going to be shattered. Nothing. No. Mortal thoughts, as we all know, right? You know, and we know that because we're consenting adults. Nothing. These are. This is like late night Cinemax. I feel like I need to protect myself against unlawful entry. I I remember that one. Yes, you remember that, right? But even if I do break into your house. I'm going to get a great attorney because, as we all know in this country, I'm presumed innocent. Is that Harrison Ford? I have no idea. I'm just reading off a list, man. Come on. (laughs) No details. No questions. Because I got to tell you, I don't know a lot about these movies. You caught me because I'm guilty as sin. 
Yeah, these are all bad. Do you got I'm, more? How many more you got? I'm knocking this out of the park, man. Just roll with it, okay? <laughs> but you got to be quiet. Shh. Don't talk too loud. I bet I can guess one. Why, why do you think I'm whispering? Whisper. No, you're wrong. <laughs> I don't think that's the movie, is it? I just don't want to wake somebody up. Because my wife's here. And if she finds out, I'm going to be in trouble. Because I've, I've been sleeping with the enemy. You That's Julia Roberts, right? Julia Roberts. Because my wife catches me with this other woman. This because I'm sleeping with the enemy, as you know. That'd be bad. She's going to give me a kiss before dying. And then stab me in the face. Did you put these in order? Like no, your that was order? just that was just the order I read them. Okay. I thought you had played like Mad Libs with them. But that's crazy. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten similar thriller genre films, all released in the first three years of the nineties. So we were on a kick here. This is like teen comedies. And, and thrillers, this was around that same time. Yeah. There's a trend happening. Something happening uh, here. Arthur wants to go to the cops. Cynthia picks up the phone, but he's already thought better of it because she's an accomplice, and it takes away from her. He takes the phone away from her before she can dial. He instructs her to cut off all ties with Joyce. He's worried about the kids losing their mother and losing his, his job, but things aren't adding up for the wolf. During the interrogation, Woodston Wolf. Yeah, she's a tough. Uh, she's a tough broad. That Cynthia is. Her last name might be Kellogg, but she doesn't get soft in milk. Tell you that. She stays <laughs> a little crispy, a little tough. Cut your gums up. There's two detectives in the interrogation room, but the one does absolutely nothing. This is well, all Har- I, Harvey Keitel. She, you know what? She's there um, for one reason, one reason only, because he's interviewing a woman. And another woman has to be there to make sure he doesn't try to diddle her. Because that's, even in the 90s, they knew where exactly where the fuck we were. Cynthia starts yelling at the detective. Earlier we saw the other detective say they have enough to arrest her on, but he's got a hunch there's more, and he wanted to keep getting more information out of her. They agreed to... Pump her for information. They agreed to take a break and let Cynthia get some water and when Cynthia goes to get water we see Joyce is chained up in a holding cell. Yeah, this is where it got weird for me. I, I was because I, I, I didn't understand why she was even there why Cynthia's there getting interviewed in the first place and then you see Joyce and I was like, oh, the fucking shit went down, right? The shit went down. So Cynthia is now in bed with her sleeping husband when the phone rings and it's Joyce telling her she needs to get over there right now. I was watching this I, I had some time during the day. I was watching this during the day. My wife comes home for lunch. This is where what she saw. She saw 15 minutes of this film, this chunk right here in the, in the middle of this film. And as she's walking, and I, as she's walking, she's leaving. I was like, oh, you want me to wait for you? She was like, no, but you know, like, I, I think to me more killed her husband. I, she did it. I was like, no, 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 no. Like, she's like innocent victim. She's telling the story. It's from, it wasn't her. That, why would you think that? She was like, yeah, yeah I've, seen, I've seen this kind of shit, which is evident we'll find, by the other nine films. We'll find out later or not who did what. Yeah. 
Joyce is telling her she needs to get over there right now. Joyce is there. She's crying hysterically while her family is there. They inform Cynthia that the police called and they found a body and it appears to be Jimmy Urbanski. It's Jimmy's body. This is where I started to believe something was up. Is when, what's Urbanski's wife? uh, Joyce. um, Joyce is just bawling profusely, throwing a huge fit about her husband dying in front of her family and friends and shit like that. I was like, she is really over overdoing this. Really overdoing this. She's overcompensating. And I was like, something's yeah. not... This doesn't feel right. The next line of my notes is Joyce is putting on a show for the family. So Yeah. She tells Cynthia she needs the van. Uh, some of the family offers to help Cynthia, but both Joyce and Cynthia know that nobody can get near that van because that's where the alleged killing took place. But it wasn't just anybody. It was it was Jimmy Urbanski's brother. Right, like, yeah. Very suspicious of the two of them, specifically of Cynthia. Yep, Cynthia gets in the van. She pulls away and tells the investigator she parked it down the street so she could keep an eye on it. But what she's really doing is cleaning up the crime scene while her kid watches you didn't Just do like, crafts with your mom? I did basket weaving with my mom. That's along the same lines. Eh. I mean, what's the big maybe, deal? Kid, do, kid does no shit. Maybe my mom could have spent more time with me is what I'm learning from doing this podcast. You know what? Who knows? Do, your current dad could be your second father. Your mom could have chopped up and fed you your first father. You don't even know. You could have watched it happen, but spitting and babbling and shitting yourself. Cynthia has a van all cleaned up. She returns it to the salon. Their co-worker is there. She is highly suspicious, much like Jimmy's brother, saying she's not going to lie for anybody. Bambi. Worst fucking hair I've ever seen. Her name was Cookie, I think. Cookie. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, Joey is suspicious. That's Jimmy's brother because he knows that van is always a pigsty. And now, coincidentally, it's the cleanest it's ever been. Spotless. The thieves washed it out. Before they return it to wash out all their fingerprints. Yeah, I got that noted later. Cynthia was so good at cleaning this van, she could have started her own mobile detailing shop. Yeah, like, uh, well, I mean, it's, what is it, like Surf Pro? You know, well, yeah, you got a murder scene, I'll come clean it up. Yeah, they got a bunch of those uh, here, the mobile detailing people. Whatever she puts her mind to. We're now at James Urbanski's funeral. Uh, Bruce is in the casket with his goatee. You've noted a few times i'm glad that thing finally fucking died you know what that looks like it looks like um in jackass when they shave their pubes and glue it to <laughs> aaron aaron's face for the that's taxi, exactly the what i'm taxi. saying i was saying i said that something like it looked like women's pubic hair earlier like that's exactly what it fucking looked like <laughs> it looked like brindle brindle's uh brindle's beard his first beard <laughs> they, only had, they only had a seven million dollar budget so yeah, you couldn't you couldn't afford your your wig budget was, ah oh, man we can get a we can get a thick wig, <laughs> that'll work. He's got a small mouth. Joyce tells Cynthia they got to talk. They go to a back room. Joyce tells Cynthia that the cops got the van. Part of their cover up is someone broke into the van and stole the wigs and other hair salon stuff before leaving the scene. They cleaned it up to cover up their fingerprints. You know, basically a gang of highly sophisticated hair salon ninjas. Well, I, you know, is they well. How'd you know that they cleaned it? Well, they left us a very nice note. 
explaining how they were sorry and that they cleaned it, you know, not only to clean up their own crime, but also as an apology to us. They told yeah, they're us terrible. That. They're terrible liars. And you yes. know what they say about the truth? You could tell it over and over again, and it never changes. You, you know it. It's reassuring Joyce that she is holding up well. Joyce tells Cynthia she has to hide more evidence. Jimmy's wallet, his jewelry, a gun, all the stuff Joyce was responsible for disposing of on the night of the killing. This is a sign that Joyce is cracking. She says she hears Jimmy's voice at night, and Cynthia tells the investigators that Joyce is on pills and stressed out. Yeah, she seemed a little tweaky um, in, the, in, the, in those, those moments. I mean, to me, definitely painted her as a, I killed my husband's like a nutbag. Yeah, all of her, all of Cynthia's testimony is painting Joyce as and Jimmy as bad people who are stressed and on drugs. You know, it's probably. Let's look at the root of this, Billy. Let's talk about what it really is. All right, I'll tell you what the real crime is here. It's poverty. All right, let's break that Cap- cycle. Capitalism. Capital P capitalism. Cynthia goes home with the gun. Uh, Her husband is stressing out. Cynthia tells him that she told Joyce not to call anymore. Her husband says he told his friend the cover-up story. So she heads upstairs as he shares a drink with his buddy. Oh, yeah. Soup's getting pretty thick and hot now, though. It's revealed that Joyce had an incident with her wrist. It looks like a possible suicide attempt. Oh, she tried. I mean... That's the classic, you know, teenage girl would show up in middle school. She had bandages on her wrist. What, she, t- she tried to kill herself? Yeah, did last night with a staple. Uh, used a bobby pin. Uh, Joyce is in the holding cell. She tells Cynthia that somebody is talking. She thinks it's Cookie, her, their co-worker from the hair salon. Joyce also tells Cynthia to knock Cookie over. Or they can kiss their kids goodbye. Knock she said, her knock her over. Over. She said fuck it. Yeah, kill her. Basically kill her. Yeah. Get her out of the way. Who wants to kill Cookie? Why would you want to kill anybody named Cookie? I tell you what. I just got a giant carton of Girl Scout cookies. I'm going to kill some fucking cookies tonight. <laughs> uh, Cynthia agrees to give the lawyer a logbook. Uh, Harvey Keitel puts it together that Cynthia has stopped telling her husband everything. He also puts it in Cynthia's head that Arthur must be the one talking. She says he would never do that and that she just wants to leave him out of all this. So I I started to get confused with Arthur's involvement here. Yes. All right. We're getting to a point in the movie where something very critical happens. And I still, it's unresolved. I've, I've tried to resolve it a few times, but we'll get there. You can feel everything building and you just don't know to what. But yes, something is, something feels like a, Yes. Everything is shaking. Something's got to give. The lawyer calls asking about the logbook, and Joyce shows up incognito saying she wants the gun that Cynthia had gotten from her earlier and that she can't trust her in-laws. Cynthia goes to get the gun as Arthur's coming home. Joyce waits. Arthur starts investigating her as she continues to lie to him. Uh, Arthur tells her that most murders are committed by someone you know, and... Cynthia gives Joyce the gun. Cynthia and Joyce head out the door. Joyce starts freaking out immediately. Cynthia has to let it out that Arthur knows. 
because he saw her covered in blood. Uh, yeah, Joyce can't hide that. Yeah, she was <laughs> she was in a white shirt too. Even with the all temperature. Uh, Joyce pretty much threatens to kill Arthur because he knows too much. Arthur picks up the phone saying he's going to call the police when Cynthia reminds him that he's an accomplice now, too. So he starts packing his shit up. He's going to get a lawyer to file for a divorce. Arthur's not going anywhere. He does this every, like, every six months, eight months. You know, he throws a big fit. I'm the big man. You can't push me around. Like, you're nothing to me. He just yeah, Arthur was a bit of a bitch. He's a bitch. He just likes the drama. Arthur, you hear that? You're a bitch. Take that to the fucking bank. Art. Ar- Arthur tells Cynthia that she's not married to him, that she's married to Joyce. Uh, Harvey Keitel is telling Cynthia that she has to make a choice. Got to make a choice. Joyce. Cynthia said she would have come clean, but nobody asked her until her husband was dun-dun-dun, found dead. Here's my conundrum. Who killed Arthur? Yeah, I have this question at the end. Okay. Because it's unanswered for me. Cynthia says she would go to her sister's or her mother's, any place to avoid Joyce. At this point, Cynthia has you thinking that Joyce is like a ser- uh, on the verge of becoming a serial killer. Yes, absolutely. That's where I was. Joyce calls Cynthia. She is not happy. Joyce asks her where Arthur is. They have an argument. Joyce says she's going over to Arthur's house, not to start something, but to finish it. Yes, ominous threat, right? She makes the ominous threat. Smash got to in front of Arthur's house, and, and Daddy's driving Cynthia home. Cops, ambulance, fire trucks, lights. God, that's at my house. Yeah, we pull up. It's an active crime scene. The wolf is adding up all the evidence, and he's pointing it back to Cynthia. Things aren't making sense to him. He thinks she wanted her husband dead because she didn't do anything to stop it from happening. He says a known killer was on the loose threatening her family. And Cynthia says she thought Joy was bluffing. The wolf says maybe Joyce is in the murder and that Cynthia's story could be to cover up Cynthia's actions and not Joyce's. So Cynthia gets up to leave as the wolf summons in Joyce Urbanski. He tells her he's letting her go home for the night because her kids need a mother more than he needs to make an arrest. Bum, bum, bum. So, when, obviously, we now know, uh, unless you're stupid, Joyce didn't kill her man. She might have let his ass die. She didn't kill no man. Cynthia got in her car and she flashes back to the carnival. Bruce is there hammered and he's getting handsy. When Cynthia gets... Jimmy in the van, we now see what didn't happen last time, and that he's going for the struggle snuggle. Which I thought, <laughs> that's a good one. Which I thought was going to happen the first time. I thought he was going to try to pull her in there. That's what he did the second time. Gotcha, bitch. Well, <laughs> gotcha, bitch. Apparently it did happen. It was pretty tough to watch. I'm not going to lie. You know, I guess you could see it as that. Or you could look at it like, listen, these are, not only these are two actors, but they are two married actors. Mm-hmm. Which was interesting. Which I'm like, I mean, I'd fight my wife in the back of a van. <laughs> you want to watch? <laughs> Depending on how you, inebriated you were. I'll give you my OnlyFans. <laughs> oh my god. That'd be. 
That'd be fucking horrible. Uh, Demi Moore is reaching around for anything she can get her hands on, and she grabs a box cutter, uh, slices Jimmy's throat. Jimmy's bleeding out, and it turns out Joyce was the one playing roulette and not Cynthia. Yeah, so everything you saw in the beginning of the movie when the issue was flashing back, where from the carnival point on, Cynthia was projecting her image. Basically, her and Joyce were, like, reversed. Cynthia was the one that did the killing. Cynthia, I think Cynthia killed her husband, too. I think she killed Arthur. Yeah, I was going to ask all these questions in a minute. Um, they go to check on Jimmy. They talk about getting him to the hospital, but then they hesitate. Cynthia's worried about the repercussions. When Joyce turns around, she says it's too late, and she's concerned what Jimmy will do if he wakes up. So Cynthia is then shown walking back into the police station and the interrogation room where Joyce is currently sitting with the wolf. Um, Cynthia sits back down. The wolf turns on a camera and says, ready? Let's get started. Roll credits. You ready to talk now? Credits. Yep. Yeah. She did it. But I over, think she, she killed him. Over the, over the credits is the... At the beginning of the movie, the two kids playing in the in the sand and stuff. That's Cynthia and Joyce. Is that what you're thinking? Yes, as kids. That's what I'm Because I never picked, I never understood the relationship of the opening, the credit scene and the closing credit scene to, I was just like, this is com- just trying to like make you think of the 50s or. Yeah, I, I believe they were lifelong friends. And then that damn Urbanski came into the picture. Right. So my question to you is, like, what was a lie and what wasn't a lie? I think the truth was Jimmy got hammered. Joyce playing craps. Cynthia helps Jimmy. Jimmy gets handsy. Struggle snuggle. Slashed his throat. Killed him. In self-defense, freaks the fuck out. Joyce help. Joyce comes back. Considers this and is like, fucking blessing in disguise, man. Like, Yeah, fuck this guy. <laughs> fuck this guy. I hate this motherfucker. And he's out of my life now. And I can just say, I did it. And you weren't here or involved. And that way, we'll get away with it. Because I can just say, oh, it's self-defense. Everybody knows he's been beating my ass for decades. So, I don't know. I... Was the only difference Cynthia actually killing Jimmy or was the whole story a lie? And like the whole testimony where she was painting Joyce as this lunatic, was that all a lie too? I don't think so. I think that was all real because that was happening to other people too. Do you think Cynthia killed Arthur or Joyce killed yes, Arthur? Yes. No, I think Cynthia did. That's what I'm saying. Because th- the, the mom, Cynthia's mother, took the kid and left. And she said... I took some Tylenol, I drank by myself, I, and I passed out on the couch. And she was out for hours, two, two hours at least. Then her dad came home and he woke her up when she was on the couch. I think, I, or I thought, I was like, oh, she left and went there and killed her husband and then came back and is blaming Joyce. But Joyce is the one that had the gun, so maybe Joyce did do that. And they're both guilty. Maybe they like planned on it from childhood. Like, let's murder our husband someday. I'll do yours, I, you do mine, and then we'll blame each other, and then 
That'd be fucking hilarious. I think Joyce is the innocent one here, and Cynthia did all did the killing. Even of Arthur. Yes, and then painted the testimony as Joyce's, you know, uh, stressed out, pilled out. Um, so you don't think that Joyce was really stressed out and pilled out, even though it showed her taking pills? Yeah, I think if we if we saw. Cynthia's actual testimony, I think she takes all the heat for everything. Well, I mean, she's, she's got to take the heat for at least Jimmy. I, I'll play devil's advocate to myself. How did she, like, get across town without a car, murder her husband, and get back? And no marks on well, her, no nothing. Well, maybe that was a lie, too. Maybe she never did go to her parents and take, take a nap. That was just part of the original... Lies. Her, no, no, no. I mean, that, but that's what, like, they were part of her alibi. Right. So when her, so when her when husband was murdered, she the, like, the cops interviewed her parents. Like, they were at her parents' house. She was at her parents' house. Yeah, but so when she goes to tell the truth and the testimony that we don't see that's being set up as the credits start, she you probably... You think that her parents lied to the cops, too? Maybe, yeah. I guess so. Just a family of fucking liars. You've thrown the whole family under the bus, haven't you? Yeah, you can't trust no Kellogg's. You got any other thoughts on this? This movie was pretty simple, other than... Simple Simon? Other than, like, the questions you left with at the end. Um, let's see. Ready to do the three stars? Give them to me, Billy. Ah, ah, ah. Number three, the Bowcraft Amusement Park. Wrong! No. (laughs) It's located on U.S. Route 22 in Scotts Plains, New Jersey. It, it was opened was. on weekends from May through October and daily from June through Labor Day. It opened in 1946. It closed for good in 2018. It also appeared in the 1994 film North. Is that where they filmed the airport scene? I don't remember. Or is it, it the carnival? Um, yeah, it's not there anymore. Nope. Good job, Colin Blow. Whatever the number two, Bowcraft Amusement Park. Bowcraft, Colin Blow. Yeah, that's close. Number two, I gave it to Bruce Willis. I thought he was a scene stealer in this. He was like a abusive masochist in this. Right, his character set the tone for the whole movie. What I don't get about Bruce Willis in movies is the amount of hair appliances. Yeah, he was desperate for a like, time. Body hair appliance horror, desperate. Like, just, it's. That character did not need a fucking shitty, stupid fake goatee or a mustache, for that matter. Yeah, he could have just went like unshaven and been fine. Yeah, five o'clock shadow. Boom. But yeah, he set the tone for the movie and how menacing it was. He took a bit part and he made the movie about him, basically. Yes, I am the main character. He should have his own subreddit. I felt like um, if he were a basketball player in this movie, he, he would have scored like 20 points in 10 minutes. He's Tracy McGrady. <laughs> yeah, he just came in, gone like five for five from three. Hit, <laughs> score layup, get, get another two from the, foul, from the foul line. He's more of a Dan Marley in my opinion, but... Yeah. That's besides the point. Yeah. Thunder Bruce. Thunder Bruce. Thunder Dad. 
You got a guess on the number one star? I do. He got. I'm not going to tell you. It's my guess. If I tell you, it doesn't come true. It's my wish. It's Demi Moore. Oh, I see. I thought it was Demi Moore. So I was close. Shay said she had a small mouth. She does. And you know what else I noticed is that she and Bruce's noses are very similarly shaped from a side profile perspective. Do you think they got identical nose jobs? Ooh, instead of tattoos? That's sweet. That's very Hollywood, I think. Yeah. Hey, let's, let's go get our noses done. Hell, that's so cute. That's when you wanted me to, like, when we were, I was in Virginia Beach last time, and you were like, let's get our asses waxed and bleached. And I was like, I don't have time for this, man. <laughs> You're like, but this is what guys do together. You know, we hang out, get our asshole bleached. You go home, you show your lady the white target, the bullseye. Whew. Woo. We should talk about Demi Moore uh, a little bit. You got a favorite Demi Moore movie? We should have started another podcast so called Let's Talk Demi Moore. Just a little more. My favorite Demi Moore movie, G.I. Jane. Ooh. We'll be doing G.I. Joe later. That's the only one that I really that like popped into my head other than Ghost. I didn't want to say Ghost. Striptease. Nothing but trouble. Striptease. Oh, the proposal. Yeah, and decent proposal. Decent proposal. The proposal. Um, striptease. Yeah, that was a good one, dude. Oh. She she was pretty much done after the nineties. Well, yeah, but I mean, you made so much money. I mean, honestly, like Ghost probably netted her so much bank in residuals and after the fact and. I mean, she was rich off of that, you know, yeah. and Mary Bruce Willis didn't hurt. Mm-hmm. I don't think she, she really needed to work. Do you think she took some money in the divorce? I would say yes. I would think so. because I mean, they listen, I mean, if you, let's say you and Shay get, well, not hypothetically, let's say hypothetically you weren't married to Shay and you were getting married. She had $50 million. You had $100 million when you got married. So you get married and you have 150. Do you split that in half and go 75 each, or do you just take what you had because it was 50 million dollars and 100 and just say, "Fuck it, we're good." You know, yeah, Bruce should think, have, just walk away. Bruce should have got a prenup. I'm sure Bruce had a prenup. Let's look at this. Do you think Bruce was like an alimony Tony? They just love, just love paying alimony. It's preposterous, Alimony Tony. You're silly. All right, I got Bruce Willis to me more. According to this, Demi Moore received $90 million in the divorce. Wow. And Bruce had a net worth of like 250 200 Okay, so basically he, he kept a little bit more than half. Yeah, so they did split it in half. <sighs> Fuck that, man. Yeah, that's costly. Just seriously, like, if you're like, oh, hey, here's, take half of the money that I have. If I could get half of the money I have to get rid of a, a huge problem in my life, and I still have the other half, and it's more than enough to live on, like, I'd be like, uh, I'd probably do that. Yeah, that explains the end of his career, doing all the movies, trying to get that alimony back. <laughs> 
He's trying to pay that bitch off, man. He's like, I still owe her if I got my day. You got a monkey rating on this thing? Rotten Tomatoes said it was 56%. Really? 56%? Yeah. I did not think long and hard about this. I've been thinking about it while we were talking, though. It, this was just lost in the wash of all of those different 90s thrillers. And, so, and, and you know, this was definitely a movie that I never would have seen, even trying to be mature when I was, like, 13, getting into an R-rated movie, you know what I mean? Like, I would not have snuck into Mortal Thoughts um, as, a, as a youngin'. Uh, I think this is watchable. It was totally watchable. Mm-hmm. It was serviceable. It was a decent thriller. It fooled the fuck out of me, you know. Um, more perceptive people than I caught on uh, before, like, the last seven minutes of the movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I, but I guess that's a, maybe that's, like, a testament to the, you know, the way that they did it. I did get lost with... I was ragging on to me more earlier and her accent and stuff. I thought she was great. Yeah, she was Like, really honestly, good. like, and, and not to make it like sexist or anything like that. And I apologize to if there is a female listener out there, but she was probably still is. I haven't seen her in years, but it, she was absolutely gorgeous. You know, and this was, this was like everybody's prime too. Like nobody was too old for their role or too young for the role. Everybody seemed to fit nicely in place. Thought there was great chemistry. I fucking love Harvey Keitel. You know that he played a he played a good a good bad cop. Yeah, he didn't have a lot to work with. No, but he's you know uh, you could tell he was a seasoned pro. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he made it work. I'm a detective. I'm not any cop. Um. So. I, th- I mean, I think there were reasons that I liked it, um, but it wasn't spectacular by any stretch. You know, it was definitely, I, I stopped it and started it a handful of times to get snacks and drinks and use the bathroom. So it didn't, it wasn't like, uh, it, it didn't hold my my attention for the entirety of the movie. There was just It's a cable movie. Oh, completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, if you add a little nudity into this, this this becomes like the you know the the background of the '90s you know A but almost B movies that were released. Um, so I think monkey rating, I'd give it a five. Monkeys, you know, maybe I'll give it a six. I'll give it right right in the smack dab in the middle. I'll run round that up to six. Um. Because I thought there were ten monkeys on the scale, but then I remembered it was twelve. It's a twelve monkey rating. Twelve, 12 monkey scale. If you're a new listener, this is a twelve. We rate movies on a twelve monkey rating, one to twelve. Right. Right. It has been since the beginning. Um, in the beginning, God created the twelve monkey scale. For what you talking about, Willis? Podcast. So six. Six. I, I'm, I'm with you. I agree with the 56% on Rotten Tomatoes. Rotten Tomatoes is always way too low. I, I think they got this one right. Um, yeah, this is a good pace. It's grading. None of the characters in this movie are likable. Kind of has the same vibe as Uncut Gems a little bit. Ooh, yes. Nowhere near as strong as that movie, B. 
because it's not even close to being as good. But for a brisk 90 minutes, you're kind of clenching your butthole waiting for the floor to fall out on these two women because there's no way they were ever going to get get away with this crime and cover it up. Um, it's simple. It's almost like a play on that there's only like five actors in the movie with a few sets and locations. Bruce brings it. I realized I hadn't seen Demi Moore carry a movie in probably like 30 years, and she was very, very good, <laughs> I thought. Glenn Headley was menacing. John Pankow was annoying. And Bruce was basically a domestic terrorist. All in all, it's right down the middle of the plate. It's it's pretty predictable. Uh, it's exactly what you think it's going to be. On a scale of 1 to 12 monkeys, this is a solid 6 monkey movie. Ooh. Ballpark buds. I tell you what. If we stand, like, hip to hip, we're both throwing out solid 6 monkeys. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a fine movie. Anybody I, anybody walk past be like, there's a couple towel hangers right there. You ready to get into some alternative examinations? Oh, yeah. Let's do this. Uh, how many do we got this week? We got Please. six. Oh, let's do three. <laughs> this is from Daryl, part one. He gave it three stars. Pick the three best, man. At its core, Mortal Thoughts has a strong concept and a compelling narrative. Even if it doesn't quite have the finesse and style of other 90s noir crime flicks, Demi Moore and Bruce Willis are ace, but I cannot be convinced that Glenn Headley was ever particularly convincing in this role. She has a lot of weight to carry in each scene, and I don't think she measures up to her contemporaries. I appreciate how the narrative twists and turns... How the inelegance of the interrogation scenes as a framing device begins to bear fruit in the final reel. All in all, this was a pleasant find for a lazy Wednesday night. You're disqualified for saying framing device. I think it's a good review, though. It, it, I don't know if I totally agree with Glenn Headley's performance. I thought she was fine. To say that she had to carry the movie when she was the third build, like that's not true. She didn't have to carry yeah. scenes. You know, I th she played it. They all played a good... I think you're... Uh, uh, I don't... You said that it was like a play. I think that's a pretty That's a pretty good observation. It did feel like a play. This is from Dre Money. One and a half stars. This is two of three. There's six. Because sometimes I... <laughs> two of, edit two out then. Let's make it four. It's solid four. Dre Money. One and a half stars. Bruce makes a fun bad guy. He does for New Jersey what Jason Isaacs did for the British and the Patriot. And Demi and Keitel have a solid back and forth. But the film itself is basically a bore. It's like a weird mishmash of the usual suspects in a Lifetime movie. Maybe not. I don't agree with the usual suspects. I see what they're saying, where they're going, Dre. I get you. I'm yeah. picking up what you're laying down. My, it my did dog. have a little bit of a Lifetime movie vibe to it. Like did a, feel Hallmark-ish. Like Hallmark after dark, though. Hall dark. Yeah. Oh, the hall's so dark on Hallmark after dark. We got four stars from Waldo. Ooh, where Wal is he? Where is he? Wal 
Waldo says, Glenn Headley was a nice actress, and she died suddenly a few days ago. This is the first film that came to mind. It's the story of two best childhood friends, Joyce and Cynthia. They're married, but Joyce is married to a real Jersey mook called James. Willis, I thought, deserved an Oscar nomination here. Love how he spells sugar. A brilliant cast with powerhouse performances from Moore, Willis, Keitel, and, of course, the late Headley. Super tense film with a final surprising twist that makes all the sense in the world. A haunting crime film. I mean... I agree with this review. I I don't know. I think you have to type... Go ahead, you say it. Bruce does not deserve an Oscar. No, okay. That's a little bit of a stretch. Is it, it, this has to be this person's only mode of communication is typing stuff because he has every other person's dick, balls, vagina, and titties in his mouth simultaneously. Like He is sucking a lot of dick on that one. Oscar, you're talking about Oscar nods. That's bold. He sounds like a real Glenn Headley stand. Like he was in a dark place after her passing and just... He's a Headley head, man. He's a Headley head. Give her head. flowers. He's a Headley egg. Yeah. You know, when I... I don't, I don't know that I would have even known who she was when she died, let alone been yeah. like, this was not my first thought about that. I'd have been like, who the fuck is that? That's on the last page of the paper. No disrespect. Man. Headley. We got this from Chloe. This just has a heart, so I don't know what that means. But vibrant performances, a vivid sense of place, and some of the most entertainingly egregious product placement I've ever seen. Harvey Keitel basically spends a full minute fondling a bag of Dunkin' Donuts. He does. It perhaps telegraphs the whole she's an unreliable narrator thing a bit too loudly, making some of the passages akin to treading water until we get to the inevitable reveal. Still, when it comes, it feels well-earned. She's right about the product placement. I did not write any of that down. But there's definitely Dunkin' Donuts... Coke, Pepsi, soda of some kind makes an appearance. He does that, man. He fucking starts mauling that donut, too. That looks so good. Christopher Piercy, four stars. This type of woman... Hey, just FYI, you're sitting between me and fucking Girl Scout cookies. If we were in the same room together, I'd be swinging on you right now. My sugar's low. Come on. My sugar's low, bitch. Christopher Piercy, four stars. This type of woman revenge 90s neo-noir is right up my alley, and I'm honestly surprised this doesn't get more love. Bruce Willis is a total creep, and Demi Moore is very good in this role. Plus, it has Harvey Keitel. Did you add the emphasis? Plus, it was Harvey Keitel. No, there's an exclamation point there. There is? Yeah. He likes the wolf. Let's just spin the wheel and get out of here. Oh, this fake fucking thing. Or do we have sound this 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 time around? Are we going to hear some sound? I don't know. We'll find out. You just want me to make Should... sound with me? No. Should we open up the playbook? If you have clickety-clack sound indicating there's a, a wheel involved in this, and it's not just you making fucking numbers up, picking movies you want, which has been happening three weeks in a row now, I'm op- I will agree to open it up. <clears throat> but I want to hear click, 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 clickety-clack, increasing and decreasing in sound and cadence. All right, I'm pressing the button. You can take your 
Take your the, the second half of your fucking list and shove it up your ass. This is garbage. Where is clickety-clickety-clack? That's what people tune in for every week. The raw Number authenticity six. of the chuckaluck wheel. Number six. Ugh. Color of night. Smother you in your sleep. You ready to see some dong? Wait, am I ready to see some dong? This got Dude. Bruce Dong in it. Oh, my God. He likes to show his little ham every now and again, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see how this is available. I think it's on X videos and YouPorn. <laughs> I had this DVD, but when I got rid of a bunch of them, I got rid of it. The color of night is flesh. <laughs> we had the playbook open there. It still gave us a low number. The playbook is not open. I do not agree to this. At all. All right, 1994, and it's only available for rent on Amazon, Apple TV, Google Play, YouTube, Vudu. So we're paying for this one. This is gonna be the first one I had to pay for. I pay for. I've paid for every fucking one of these, in some way, shape, or form. <laughs> all right. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody, and keep it Brucey. Say you wanna be down east, back A motherfucker get beat down out my face Fool, I'm the illest, bulletproof I die harder than Bruce Willis Got my